podcasts from Aberdeen Standard Investment Trusts. Invest in good company. Hello and welcome to this Aberdeen Standard Investment Trust podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard. With me today is Nalika De Silva, manager on the Aberdeen Diversified Income and Growth Investment Trust. Also joining us today is Jennifer Murner, who takes over from Tony Foster, who's recently retired from the trust. We're going to be talking about the strategy and current positioning. Welcome both of you. Um, Nalika, I wonder if you could talk about the trust's evolution over the past six months. Um, what was the background to the changes? Hi, Jerry. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, so yes, the, um, the trust has gone through this period of evolution as part of a strategic review that was conducted last year. Um, and really, that was uh, done to do a number of things. One is to adapt to the global marketplace, which is changing, and the, um, the overall evolution of the, I guess, the, the changes in market dynamics, whether it be macro policy, global trade, capital markets, you know, have been accelerated through COVID. And, and really what the board were looking for uh, was to, to find the portfolio mix that was, that was fit for purpose for the future. And that was to really evolve the portfolio to give uh, investors the broadest range of investment opportunity, um, providing that stable income and growth. And we've done that through a combination of uh, asset allocation shifts, as well as um, looking at a, an increased exposure to private markets. And given the importance of income, uh, giving the trust the best ability to generate a stable dividend yield over the future. A big part of the asset allocation work was really around the, the, the new target um, and the performance target. And as part of the discontinuation of LIBOR and the review of the performance target, a more simplified approach to return uh, measurement uh, was, was chosen. So a 6% return um, over a rolling five-year period. And, and the majority of that target return to be generated by income. So around 60% of that um, to be generated by income. And as I mentioned before, there was a, a shift to private markets and, and part of, uh, I guess, my role and our team's um, ability to, to generate opportunities for the fund was to, to really look at investing in this big marketplace. And we'll talk about that in some detail, but really to, to look at high growth areas um, of the market through venture capital and private equity, along with stable income generating areas such as infrastructure and private debt, coupled with you know, real estate and natural resources, which will you know, bring income and inflation characteristics. And the last part of it was part of a deleveraging strategy by the board, which was established through the um, purchase of 73% of the bonds that were outstanding at that point in time, uh, which were expensive at 6.25%, uh, you know, quite expensive in terms of cash flow, and a decision uh, by the board to, uh, to buy those back. And um, that allowed us to do a couple of things. One is sort of steady up the, uh, the dividend stream, so there's more cash flow being able to be distributed, uh, and it would deliver the portfolio from a risk standpoint. So... So really about you know the, the foundations for generating income and growth, uh, along with that foundation for capital growth over the long term, uh, generating the income through reliable sources, focusing on that performance target over the long term, increasing that private market exposure to give us a, a broad diversified portfolio across public and private, and then ultimately reducing risk by deleveraging. So that was the task and, and what we've looked to achieve over the last six months. Looking at that private markets exposure in a bit more detail, can you talk about which areas you've chosen to increase and what you think that's going to bring to the portfolio? Private markets is a big place. Um, and so really, we, we break them up into, I guess, two main category types. Um, sort of real assets being sort of infrastructure, real estate and natural resources, essentially land-based opportunities. And then private capital being private equity and private credits or private debt. And these are essentially the financing of private companies, both on the debt and the equity side at different stages of their evolution. So the areas that we've chosen to increase um, are really to continue working on the infrastructure program. So investing in 
essential assets that support domestic and regional growth, such as schools, roads, hospitals, transportation assets. We're looking at renewable energy, energy generation supply, along with communication assets. Uh, and these should provide fairly stable, non-cyclical, attractive yields that are linked to inflation, uh, which is really important at the moment. So we've, we're focusing on that. And then at the same time, you know, looking at diversifiers across real estate and natural resources um, as well. Uh, the private capital portfolio, uh, we're really focusing on private credit. Um, so that's increasing the dividend yield potential of the portfolio by um, generating higher spreads for operating in, in I guess, the private markets. Uh, and that's across a range of opportunities, whether it be senior loans, um, subordinated debt or specialty finance to companies or projects. And then we'll supplement through the growth side um, through private equity as well. So, so really, um, if we look at the areas that we're focusing on the private side, it's really about the strong income streams, along with the long term growth potential of, uh, of private equity type assets. Um, Jennifer, can I bring you in here? Um, fixed income has been a very tough area to invest in 2020. Looking ahead to the rest of 2021 and beyond, do you think fixed income and credit can still provide an income? Yes, I do. Listed fixed income and credit investments can provide a return because we're assuming some credit risks from different types of borrowers. Specifically within this portfolio, it's possible to access investments that are structured in such a way as to make the default lower than it would ordinarily be while still gathering a good um, level of income. The company can invest in asset-backed securities and these offer a high yield with a lower expected default in comparison to similarly rated corporate credit. So um, these ABS, as they're termed, uh, issue a series of bonds with different credit ratings which are backed by pools of assets such as corporate loans, mortgages, credit card debt. And the owners of the highest rated bonds are less likely to experience defaults but they receive slightly lower returns whereas the owners of the lower rated bonds can benefit from higher potential returns but are also first to experience losses when defaults occur. But the complexity of these structures can also lead to mispricing and that's what we feel the company can take advantage of and has been able to generate a good income from these assets over time and intend to be able to do that in the future as well. Sticking with the area of credits, the other uh, place which we derive good yield from is emerging market sovereign debt. So uh, this can be issued in both local currency and it can also be US denominated, so issued in US dollars. And in the trust, we look to dampen the volatility of returns in the local currency credit that we own by hedging out some of the risk. When lending to emerging market countries, you are provided often with a higher yield as these countries typically have higher levels of um, interest rates given the higher risks than developed market countries. And whilst in the past it, it might have been fair to say that um, default risks were materially higher, we think that the evolution of central banks towards a more disciplined monetary policy, the development of local currency market, which means that countries are more in control of their debt servicing, combined with China's economic might, which is now um, on a par with that of the US, which makes emerging um, Asian countries more resilient and therefore default risk um, remains, but is lower than it might have historically been. So that's another area where we feel that we can continue to generate good returns for shareholders. And Jennifer, the, the fund has exposure in the listed alternatives segment as well. Could you explain a bit about that part of the portfolio as well and how they generate an income? So, yes, as you as you pointed out, the trust um, invests in listed alternatives. 
and that's a way to gain exposure to less liquid alternative assets in a liquid format. One of the most widely known examples is real estate investment trusts, which allow investors to access property assets such as social housing, private rented accommodation, supermarkets in a liquid format. And these listed alternatives extend beyond real estate as well. So can also include in social and renewable infrastructure and more what we might call esoteric assets such as music royalties, healthcare royalties, shipping, marketplace lending. And these investments can offer really attractive yields and also the potential for capital appreciation. And um, importantly, the income is derived that's derived from these investments is typically backed by assets that pay out a stream of cash flows and tend to be durable over time. But because they're listed, these securities can often trade at a different level to the underlying net asset value uh, of what's owned. So we are able to take advantage of those pricing discrepancies where we see them, which also um, is an attractive feature. Okay, thanks. And there is also some sort of conventional listed equities in the portfolio. What does that look like? What's the makeup of that portfolio today? Oh, sure. So, yes, we do have a relatively, I suppose, small allocation to listed equities. And I, I suppose as everybody who's listening would know, you know, it's essentially just allowing you to gain access to kind of some growth um, exposure and, um, you know, having some exposure to listed equities allows the company to continue to grow its assets and to try to maintain that solid base from which the dividend is delivered. And you've pointed out quite rightly that uh, we made some changes recently. So um, I think people may know that there has been a significant delivery of both monetary and more importantly, recently, fiscal packages, particularly coming out of the US. And what that means to us is that we see continued persistent economic growth over the next three years. So to have some exposure to more cyclical areas of, of the global equities market makes sense. And what we've um, noticed is that we feel that the UK equity market is particularly undervalued. Some valuations in other areas have run up, but the UK looks attractive and is a cyclical market. So we've added some exposure there, particularly to growth equities, but also balanced out by a kind of larger cap index exposure. And then on top of that, um, we have a European infrastructure equity exposure where we see that that's a kind of a, a mega trend that will continue because of um, policies that are being put in place by administrations around the world. And then those exposures are layered on top of a broad market developed equity exposure. Great, thanks. And um, Nalika, just to, just to finish off with you, could you talk a bit about your outlook for the year ahead any key risks? Do you see any any particular opportunities? I, I guess my my view would be sort of cautiously optimistic. I'd say the um, you know we, we're relatively positive on the range of opportunities that ADIG will will get the chance to to invest in um, over the next twelve months and beyond. Uh, but we're not out of the woods in terms of COVID, um, the unpredictable nature of, of the virus and how it's developing, and the vaccine rollouts. Um, as Jennifer mentioned, uh, there's been a huge amount of stimulus in the US, which is positive for for capital markets. Um, so. Uh, that will result in, I guess, more liquidity in the market, and therefore, you know, we're we're somewhat concerned about asset pricing and what that means sort of in the near term and potentially the inflation outlook over the longer term. So, I guess there's a broad range of risks that we're focused on. But in terms of trying to look at opportunities within that, those those risks do create opportunities, and I think uh, we're definitely seeing 
you know, the benefits of being able to allocate capital to the private markets where we can generate still strong yields. In, and if you think about all of that stimulus that's being put into the US around infrastructure, for example, that's um, that's being translated in other parts of the world. So, you know, US, European, Australian markets are all investing heavily in infrastructure, which we're, uh, which we're exposed to. Um, so that capital expenditure, um, our mix between developed and emerging markets, I think will cons- constantly evolve as we, we look at sort of uh, global trade and the dollar um, and what that means in terms of FX volatility. Now that um, ADIG does hedge the majority of its exposure, so um, we, we hopefully won't see any of that FX volatility come through the portfolio. Um, so we'll really be focused on creating these income streams. And um, and in doing that, private credit, you know, providing liquidity to, to high-quality companies that have got good business models but perhaps have um, you know, strained balance sheets uh, is where we'd be you know, taking some of these opportunities and um, you know, as Jen mentioned earlier, the risk of defaults around some of these areas are, are reduced and therefore we can uh, generate excess returns for, for that segment of the portfolio. So, so overall, it's, it's really going to be a careful deployment and pacing exercise over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, looking very carefully at business models and business model resilience uh, for what the underlying investments are doing. Uh, and then measuring our cash flows quite carefully to make sure that we can provide that stable dividend yield um, into 2022 and 2023 um, and onwards. Great. Okay. Thank you, Nalika and Jennifer, for your time and insights today. If listeners have any questions about the trust, please do get in touch with one of the team here or check the website on www.aberdeendiversified.co.uk. And thank you to everyone for joining us. Podcasts from Aberdeen Standard Investment Trusts. Invest in good company. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments of products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.